Today is the day. It feels like we've been running this countdown clock forever, North Carolina. In less than three hours, you will finally be able to start funding your mobile sports betting accounts. Our guest here on the Heaster Automotive Group hotline is a guy who has been tracking this so much, he probably just starts signing his name with dollar signs at the end, although he doesn't have any S's in his name, W-R-A-L's Brian Murphy. Murph, uh, wow, it feels like the, the marathon is almost over. We're ready to cross the tape here. Yeah, it was a big day yesterday. I mean, the fact that they announced who got those licenses and, and today that, you know, people can create their accounts and put money in them, it, it does feel like, you know, it's a long way from, from where we were when, when the bill failed and, and a long way where we were from, you know, just six years ago before the, any of this was legal in, in any state outside of Nevada. Now, outside of, you know, the personal betting implications of individuals who, you know, may or may not download these apps to their devices and things like that, I, I saw a story, WREL Television, last night, which you were a part of, at least part of the, the, the ongoing coverage of this, uh, this moment uh, for sports bettors in this state, that you know, their approach, that you know, the, the uh, entities and, and the licensed operators and whatnot are approaching pretty much everybody who might have some available real estate to go, hey, we want to make sure that we get a portion of that market share. How important is North Carolina in your research to a lot of these uh, betting entities? Well, you know, it's the 10th largest state in the country. Obviously, we have a huge sports tradition, you know, not only with the pro teams, but but obviously with the college teams that date back. And if you look at some of the largest states, Florida doesn't have this yet. Texas doesn't have this yet. California doesn't have this yet. So, you know, you're, we're, we're moving up the list on, on level of importance. I, I don't think we'll get to where New York and New Jersey are. The, their numbers are insane. Um, but I, there's been reports that we could be the fifth largest uh, gambling state in the country you know, once this gets fully rolled out. I, I've used Virginia as a benchmark. I think, uh, you know, they, they're over $13 billion so far bet in three years that, that they've had this. Um, you know, I think they were $5 billion last year. So, you know, that those are the kind of numbers I've been keeping in mind as we kind of think about what might get wagered here in the state. WRL's Brian Murphy joining us here on Next Up here on 99.9. The fan, Paul Ihander. Instagram Hill on the ones and twos for us. And Brian, I know you have a podcast coming up about the evolution of sports betting and how we started way back when to where we are right now when it comes to sports betting in North Carolina. In your research, I don't want to give away too much, but in your research, I want your take on the path that North Carolina took and how it compares to other states that you may have studied to get to this point. Yeah, you know, we're not the, we're, we're the 30th state to, to legalize sports gambling or to go live with sports gambling. Uh, so we're right in the middle, uh, you know, maybe a little a little late um, to the game. And certainly I think a lot of factors played a role in that. You know, COVID, uh, you know, was sort of a lost year for the legislature and a lost year for, for passing a lot of legislation that, that might have gotten passed. Um, you know, we certainly weren't first in the game like New Jersey and Delaware, which were up and running within weeks or months of, of the Supreme Court decision. But we're also not – you know, Utah, which I don't think was ever going to get uh, mobile sports gambling. Um, so it, it, I think we're sort of right in the middle, and that's where I think our lawmakers want us to be. Uh, they don't want to be rushing out and be the first one to, to do something. They also probably don't want to be the last. I think the fact that Tennessee and Virginia have mobile sports gambling, Georgia, another big state, does not have it. Um, the fact that, that on our border there are people that you can do this. You can travel up to Maryland. I mean, almost the, entire eastern seaboard uh, north of us has this and so 
I think we are right kind of where our lawmakers would like us to be, not first, not last, see how it plays out in, in other states, and then when you know when there aren't problems or when we see there's a lot of money, then, then we'll dive in. And I, I don't think that's by accident. WRL Sports Investigative Reporter Brian Murphy. Again, there's a brief history of Triangle Sports sports betting podcast he's been working on, still working on that one. That's coming out here in the next couple of weeks. Excited to hear about that. Yesterday, I want to switch gears real quick with you, Murph. Yesterday, I heard you and, and Tim Donnelly during the drive yesterday afternoon from 3 to 6 chop it up a bit about the CFP and some of the business implications of what's going on there. And, and I spent quite a bit of time yesterday talking about the new 14-team model that's coming out, and we've gotten a couple new details about that, that part of that 14-team model, at least what's being reported, is suggesting that automatic bids would go, one of them would go to the Big Ten, and another would go to the SEC. So it would be, those would be reserved, and those automatic bids would involve first-round buys. What does that tell you about the power of the Big Ten and the sword that the SEC is swinging right now? Yeah, well, the, the the number one and number two seeds would be guaranteed to the to the SEC and to the Big Ten. So no matter how good the ACC champion was, if they went fourteen and zero or thirteen and zero, and you know the Big Ten had a two loss team, the Big Ten team would still be the one or the two seed. Um, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, I think this whole this whole fourteen team format is pretty remarkable. The, the Big Ten and the SEC would be guaranteed three spots each. The ACC and the Big Twelve would be guaranteed two spots each. And I've, I've talked about this with Tim, and I've tweeted about it some. You know, the ACC is in, in a no-win situation. If they accept that deal, that means they are telling everyone, schools, parents, recruits, television uh, you know, networks, we are not as good as these other leagues. And they're telling the schools in their league, we're not as good as these other leagues, and we're accepting them. Uh, on the other hand, if they don't take this deal, this may be the best deal they ever get uh, because the Big Ten and, and the SEC may decide, you know what, we're gone. We're, we're not we're not messing with you guys anymore. We're taking our ball and going home. We're the, we've got all the teams that anybody really wants to watch, and if we don't have them, we'll just steal them from you in the in the next five or ten years. Uh, so I don't know what the ACC is supposed to do, but I think the the Big Ten and the SEC are just flexing their muscle, seeing sort of how far they can push everybody. You know, now they're guaranteed three spots. They're guaranteed the one and the two seats. They're, they're asking for more money. Um, from from the television contract as a share, not even not even like the NCAA tournament, right? If we win more games, we'll get more money. No, they just want money off the top. That's a larger percentage than than the other leagues. And so, I, I'm not sure where it ends. I mean, where it probably ends is, uh, you know, with the Big Ten, with the Big Twelve, and the ACC deciding like we can't we can't do this anymore, and 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 playing at some other level, or the, or the, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten playing at some higher level. Um, but it it is really, I think. I'm not sure this is getting enough attention. This is, like, really important, not because of what we care about, what the playoff format is or anything, but this is the SEC and the Big Ten saying, we're in charge, get in line or get out. WRL Sports Investigative Reporter Brian Murphy. Hey, Murph, appreciate it, man. Have a good one. All right, thanks a lot, Paul. All right, Brian Murphy, WRL. Check out his work, WRL.com. Uh, check him out, Murph's Turf, on Twitter. Just a little, a few touch points on that uh, CFP a conversation they're looking at least in terms of the cfp they want a final deal done on how this works in 2026 we're already moving to a 12 team model this season and in 2025 2026 is the key because that's when the new broadcast television deal goes into place so they've got kind of like an alpha deadline so to speak 
middle of this month to reach a final agreement because they want these media negotiations to get some to get something in place and to figure out exactly how much they'll be able to write on the blank or on the check to see how much they can grab. Otherwise, they have to figure out another model. This proposed model, the three three two two one and then three at large, and one of those at large happens to also be Notre Dame. Uh, because they operate as an independent in football means really there's only two leftovers, and you could almost, almost guarantee, 99% certainty, at least for my chair, that Big Ten and SEC grab those final two slots. I'm Graham Hill with three things you need to know right now from 99.9 The Fan. The Carolina Hurricanes return to PNC Arena tomorrow as they welcome in the Winnipeg Jets for a special 12.30 putt drop, which means Stormwatch hosted by our good friend Adam Gold begins at noon right here on 99.9 The Fan. Check out the Canes Corner Podcast live on the Fan's YouTube channel following the game. Triangle Rivalry Week officially begins tomorrow as NC State travels to Chapel Hill to take on number nine, North Carolina, at 4 o'clock on ESPN. You can hear that game on our sister station, Mix 101.5, with pregame coverage beginning at 3 o'clock. Just down the road in Durham, number 10, Duke welcomes the Virginia Cavaliers at 6 o'clock. That game will also be televised on ESPN immediately following the NC State UNC game. You can listen to that game on 620 AM Buzz Sports Radio or 99.9 HD2 with pregame coverage at 4.30. Find these stories and more on WRLSportsFan.com. There's one thing I neglected as we had that chat with Brian Murphy about sports betting here. Uh, later on today, you'll be able to uh, fund the accounts that you have signed up for, pre-accounts. There are eight operators right now in the state. I'm going to do them in alphabetical order without emphasizing anything or being very specific. I'm just giving you the knowledge that you need to know because people are like, okay, well, Paul, you guys talked about sports betting. Well, who is in? Uh, Bet365, BetMGM, DraftKings, ESPN Bet, Fanatics Sportsbook, FanDuel, Underdog Sports, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. That's Caesars Sportsbook. They have a supplier license. So there are eight operators. The state will allow 13 so right now there are eight, so it means there could be more licenses coming up later, but those were the ones that met a deadline roughly a month ago for approval. Uh, each license costs a million dollars, so the state has already generated $8 million even before legal sports bets have been placed here in the state of North Carolina. Just want to get that one out of the way. As I told you right before the break there, a Power 5 football staff had to take a pay cut uh, this is at Washington State of the Pac-12. Apparently, they had amended contracts put in place after the regular season that imposed salary salary uh, cuts of up to ten percent. Everyone had a, the apparently in Washington State they have this little bit in a, in their employment agreement suggesting that the university can reduce your salary, just give you thirty days notice. So. Here's the deal at Washington State, because they are now in the Pac-12 or what's left of the Pac-12, but they're still getting monetary distribution, they had other issues there. They've bought out way too many coaches. They're also in Pullman, Washington, which if you've ever been to Pullman, Washington, and I have as part of a broadcast crew, it's not exactly the most 
giantest of towns for a uh, school. Like the school, it's a co- it's a true true college town. There's really nothing else around it. Uh, it is Pullman, and the life revolves around the university, and that's where it is. But there's not a lot else going on there, and so to bring in extra dollars and whatnot, sponsorships. You, you know how this works if you're familiar with just business in general. You know, I got to stay in business, so I got to sell things, make people show up for games and whatnot. They haven't had the best track record. They're running a $100 million deficit in their sports budget. And so your football coach at most schools, and at most schools is usually the highest paid uh, person around. Washington State head football coach had to take a pay cut, 10%. He's making two point. $7 million. That's Jake Dickert, who is a is a very solid head coach. There's no doubt about it. But he's going to face some challenges uh, to get things going. And so 10% is what they had to deal with there. There is a Caitlin Clark effect happening. We've talked about the Iowa superstar shooter, uh, one of the greatest women's college basketball players, if not one of the greatest college basketball players of uh, this era and certainly of her generation where the ticket prices have surged for her final uh, game. ESPN's College Game Day is actually going to this game, Iowa and Ohio State, because it also has some implications there in within the conference, and they're both top five teams. Caitlin Clark late yesterday declared for the 2024 WNBA draft. The first pick in the WNBA draft happens to be held by the Indiana team in the WNBA, which is like four hours away from the heart of the Iowa fan base. So the Indiana Fever, that's the name of the WNBA team there, have already said they're seeing season ticket requests skyrocket with the assumption that Caitlin Clark is going to be their number one pick. Indiana drew 4,000, so even less than what NC State draws at the college level. The Indiana Fever, the WNBA, drew 4,000 a game last year. They're already seeing thousands of season ticket requests because of Clark herself. After she said, I'm going to play, I'm going to forego my last year and go play in the WNBA, of which, you know, the rookie salary is maybe about 80 grand, but the deals and the endorsements that she has will make her several millions of dollars. The Caitlin Clark effect, it's a real thing. And when you've got grown humans, that's what I will just say, when you have grown humans thrusting basketballs and jerseys in front of her with Sharpies saying, sign this, and just make it out to eBay or to Auction House or to Marketplace, uh, you know you've got something going there. The scene outside that game uh, last night was insane, where, again, as you mentioned, there's all these spectators just storming her. Well, I shouldn't say storming. It's just surrounding her with memorabilia to have signed. It kind of looks like something out of a World War Z scene because you just kind of see Caitlin just get engulfed and all of it, and you kind of lose it for a second in the video. She handles it really well, and I'm glad there's this monster spotlight on Clark in general. It lifts everything else up, and it's very clear that when you talk about a generational player, a superstar, someone who is setting records, uh, eclipsing even you know LeBron James's nine points away from 40,000 points. Like, he's nine points away, but we're here talking more about Caitlin Clark and what's happening and the, the, the hype and certainly the spotlight, and she handles it incredibly well. There's no doubt about it. You can say that with confidence. So uh, happy for that, happy to see that others are benefiting from uh, the shine that she provides. One more thing to pass along to you as robots continue taking over our lives. Apparently the NFL has been experimenting with robot chain crews. 
And when I mean robot chain crews, it's basically the first down in 10, where they would use technology and lasers to figure out if a team actually got a first down or not. It wouldn't take the officials out of it in terms of, like, spotting the ball or whatever it is, but it would get rid of the whole idea of having to run two guys out from the sidelines in the blistering cold to figure out if Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got a first down because we don't have to worry about it. Certainly, I'm not going to take any shots at Panthers fans in terms of like whether or not they ever have had to measure for a first down in the last two years. No. But the NFL, and this isn't going to happen in 2024. Competi- this is part of the competition committee. Competition committee has to approve on this. But apparently the NFL has already been experimenting with this idea of pulling the chain crews off the sidelines to create you know, a little bit more space, but to rely more on the technology because they already have it. It's already built in. Most of the players are already wearing chips and helmets and jerseys. The footballs have technology built into them already, which hasn't certainly affected play. But it would just, you know, again, we're using uh, robotic umpires and strike zones, and we have challenges already in Major League Baseball, which has been adapting. The NFL, a little bit slower to put that in place. We'll see if that happens. But, uh, hey, big weekend, right? Triangle Rivalry Week, kicking things off.